Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Urbandale, Iowa. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Jesus Christ. Join Pastor Mike as he teaches through the Gospel of Luke. There's another group on this earth who have a relationship with God that is son or daughter to father. Now, it's great to be his creature, and I certainly don't want to be uh, the sinner under his condemnation. So I thank God, as you should, that there is that ability to come into a brand new relationship with God through Jesus Christ, where he becomes our father, and we can literally relate to him as his son or daughter. But we also need to remember that God is God, and he deserves worship and reverence and praise. And so Jesus says that we should hallow his name. Hallow his name. That simply means to worship. There should be a time in our prayer where we worship, where we think about his attributes, who he is, not what he's done, but who he is. And we worship him simply because of who and what he is. There should be that time of reverence. There should be that time of honor that is given to him. Hallowed be your name. I don't have time to go into this, but back in Exodus, we find that God gave Moses his name, which is translated into English, I am, which we know is where we get the Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. It's the personal name of God, which talks about the fact that he is transcendent above all things, that he alone exists by his own power, by, and he, he, he is present by his own ability, and his knowledge is complete because he is the source of all things. There should be time in our prayer where we, we reverence the name of God. Your kingdom come, number three, a recognition of God's sovereignty, of his rule. And when I pray your kingdom come, I'm not only recognizing he has a kingdom, but I'm praying, Lord, bring it on. And in saying, Lord, bring it on, I'm saying I'm willing to submit myself to it. And so when we're praying, Lord, your kingdom come, it is a recognition of his sovereign rule, but also an acknowledgement of our submission to that rule. Number four in the outline, give us our daily bread, which is there to remind us of our dependence on God for all things, all things needed for life, all things needed uh, for service to do his will. Point number five, forgive us our sins. (laughs) Again, that right there is an acknowledgement that I have sinned. A confession then of my transgressions. And you know, we should do more than just, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Well, what sins are you talking about? Well, my lying tongue, my gossiping tongue, my lustful eyes, my lazy mind, whatever the case may be, right? I think it's important that when we come to the Lord and and, and, and we come to this issue of acknowledgement and confession of sin, we should take a moment, maybe even ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what sins are actually going on in our life so that we can then bring them before the Father and not only receive that forgiveness, but thank Him for it. How can we thank Him for it if we're not even thinking about what they are? There's also the statement there about us being committed to freely forgiving others just as we have been freely forgiven. 
That's a little bit tough, isn't it? Anybody say that's tough? Wow, you all are a spiritual group. Well, I'll confess for me, it's very tough. It's very tough. And, and the Lord has given me something to think about when, it, when I'm, I'm hesitant to forgive. He reminds me that that person that I'm somewhat miffed at has never done anything even remotely close in disrespecting or hurting me as I've done to him. And yet he has freely forgiven me. Well, when you think of it that way, it's like, how can I hold anything then at aught with that person? Because I want that free flow keep coming, right? Amen? And I need to have that same attitude. And then number six, lead us not into temptation, which... That, that, that so many people ask, what is that all about? And the bottom line is, it's, it's a recognition of God as our shield. He is our shield from the pull of temptation. It is an acknowledgement of our personal weakness. It is an acknowledgement or an appeal to God that He will not allow the temptations that we face to be so powerful that they overcome us. And by the way, I just want to take a moment to camp on this one. That is a promise that God has actually made that He will not allow temptation to be such that it will overpower us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 is where that promise is made. It's given through the Apostle Paul, where it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful, and He will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide, notice, the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, that way of escape may mean a lot of things, but in my book, one of the things that I believe it means is this, is that when you're in the midst of temptation, the Spirit, for the believer, will prompt you to acknowledge the temptation to God. Now, I can tell you over my lifetime, I've had many, many, multiple thousands of temptations, and I stand up here shamingly to say that for the vast majority, I didn't take that opportunity because in all reality, I was kind of attracted to what I was being tempted to, and I didn't quite really want to be delivered. You know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? I know you guys are a spiritual group. You've never faced anything like that. Thanks for letting a sinner be your pastor. Um, maybe you'll rub off on me. But I am here to tell you this, that on those occasions when temptation has come and I immediately acknowledge it, Lord, I am facing this, and then I ask him to deliver me, he always has. And that way of escape, I believe, is acknowledgement and asking for deliverance. That brings me to truth point number two, where we share that God has chosen at some level to tie the accomplishment of his will to our prayers. God will never actually lead us into temptation, but our deliverance from it is tied to our active prayers against it. I'm wondering, do you have active prayers against your temptations? We should. Active prayers against the temptations that come upon us. So, summary here is that the Lord's Prayer... Please get this. The Lord's Prayer is not a prayer that Jesus prayed, and it is not a prayer that he invites us to pray verbatim, but it is an outline of how we should pray. It's an outline of how we should pray. Now, as we get down to verses 5 through 13, 
we discover that Jesus having offered an outline of how to pray, the, the thing was teach us how to pray. Okay, here's an outline. Here's, here's something you can follow that would guide you in your prayers. This morning, Larry Harker, one of our elders, led in our uh, second Sunday prayer gathering, and he gave us a, a two-page outline that was a guide to help us in our prayers. Well, that's what Jesus is doing here. And having given that guide, he now begins to teach a little bit through a parable about the attitude that we should pray with. Let me give you the quick outline here of where we're going in the next few minutes. This can be broken down into four points. Persistence, promise, principle, and premise. All starting with P. I couldn't have gotten that for a million years. So I thank Dr. John MacArthur for his commentary and for allowing me to borrow his outline. Just got to give credit where credit's due. I didn't preach his outline. I'm just using the outline. All right. So persistence, the parable. We read the parable. We read the parable about the man who was uh, visited by another friend and he came at midnight and he had nothing to offer. And so he goes next door to his neighbor and he knocks on the door and he asks for something that he can give to his neighbor. You know, that parable, when Jesus told it, was a very, very relatable, not so much relatable to us, because we just go down to the corner market, right? Of course, most of us with freezers and refrigerators and cupboards, we have plenty there. A little bit different time. But that was a very relatable to his audience, because first of all, in that culture, hospitality was everything. Everything. It still is excessively important if you go over to the Middle East. Hospitality is huge. And so hospitality was a social requirement. They all would have understood that. So they all would have understood that to fail to give hospitality to a guest, regardless of the hour in which they uh, came, would be tantamount to hurling hurtful insults at them. This was very serious, not a small matter at all. And so as Jesus begins to paint the scene in this way, he draws his audience in uh, because it was something they could relate to, the overwhelming need brought on by the unexpected arrival of a guest. The second part of the parable is also very relatable. The reaction of the neighbor. How the neighbor responded is very relatable because they all understood how it worked. During the daytime hours in that uh, region... Um, it was not uncommon for the door of every house to just be open. People would come and go. You didn't knock and say, can I come in? You just kind of went and people just kind of filtered around. But culturally, they understood that when the door closed, that was a sign that said, the people inside do not want to be disturbed. Do not come bothering us. You had your opportunity. Now we are here by ourselves. And so in telling this parable, he paints the picture of these two sides. There's this man over here who has a great need. And there's the man over here who has a supply for that need, but is not easily accessible. And having given that parable, in verse 8, Jesus brings a conclusion. He says, I tell you, though that man will not get up and give you anything because he's your friend, for the reason of being your friend, yet because of your boldness, because of your impudence, he will rise and give you whatever he needs. Now, there's a, a very unfortunate interpretational mistake that is made when we come to this conclusion. Many people conclude that this is 
that this man who's in bed with his kids and the door shut is a representation of God. And so they begin to think that, well, God is such that he doesn't really want to respond. And so you must go to extra lengths. You must really be bold. You must really beg. You must really plead. You must really knock, 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 because he really is not too terribly interested in giving you what you want. He's not too terribly interested. So you do, do have to do something to conjole him into responding your request. And if that is a thought that has ever entered your mind, please discard it, because that is not the intended understanding here. In all truth, God is more interested in responding to our prayers than we are in offering them. Did you hear that? God is more interested in responding to our prayers than we are in offering them. So he's not setting up there waiting for us to beg him enough. The intended point of that conclusion is this, catch it, that if a cranky friend eventually will acquiesce to our bold and persistent request. If a a friend will eventually do that, we can be assured then that our loving Heavenly Father will respond to our petitions for our needs. It's comparing God and His desire to respond to this cranky friend who eventually will if you keep begging Him. It's showing us the loving nature of God. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission. On Mission.